Welcome to episode 5 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Welcome along to episode 5 of Iron Man Talk with uh, Bevan James Isles and Coach John Newsom, how you going, mate? Very good, very, very good. Very good, it's a uh, Friday here. We're, Friday, yeah. yeah, yeah we're a crap week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the weather's really bad in, in New Zealand at the moment, and we had an awesome week last week. But but anyway, I digress. In this week's show, in the news, we've got Hawaii Lottery announced, uh, their, their winners are announced, so we're just going to have a look at that as an overall. How do you say that place, mate? Ubertuba. Ubertuba, half my... Ironman results, plus the Strongman results. Also, there's lots of races happening up next week, so we're going to have a look at that. Website of the week, we're going to pass on the age grouper of the week because there just hasn't been much racing recently, and so after next week, I imagine we'll have lots of people. We've got our one, two, three, four, high five. <laughs> oh, uh, that's more like it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm into it. High five of the week, and we're going to answer the second part of Michael's question about our top five tips for the first timer during the race. And the big thing for us this week is we've got a half an hour interview with Scott Molina. So uh, we're going to have that at the end of the show. So just to have you hold on in there till the end. So um, yeah, so bring it on. So the news of the week. <clears throat> Hawaii, the lottery. Yeah. Tell so, us about it. Um, they've just announced this year's lottery winners, uh, of which there are 200. Uh, that kind of seems like quite a few to me. I've, I've never really looked into the lottery too much in the past. But um, when I saw the story, I thought I'd better have a quick look at this. And uh, yeah, it's 200 slots, so I don't know what you think about that, but I think it's kind of on the high side. That's over over 10% of the field. Yeah, to me, that seems ridiculous. Let's, let's just sit back. What? How does it all work? What's the lottery well, about? Yeah, you cough up your cash and you pay... Yeah. Uh, pay and how much is that? I, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it's about 50 US. Somebody can email in and correct me on that. Yep. Um, you, you cough up. There's a worldwide lottery and a, a US lottery. So there's 150 slots for Americans and 50 slots for elsewhere in the world. Which I kind of think's average. Yeah, which is a little <laughs> bit of a discrepancy. Mm. Um, and then they just get thousands and thousands of people applying, and and they just pick the names out of the hat, I guess. Wow. And there's also another way. There's another thing called a passport, the Ironman passport. If you go onto the Ironman Live website, you can get an Ironman passport and it's, it's kind of like a gimmicky thing where you pay $50 US a year and you get a, a badge with your name on it and you basically. double your chances you know you don't double your chances but you increase your chances of get, getting selected so I, I think that's a load of crap you know yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah and so yeah the passport basically is it's kind of like a membership thing isn't it mm. and there's meant to be some advantages you get um, a complimentary newsletter three times a year you get and, and a name tag that has the event you've done on it. There's pretty minor things, and that costs you fifty dollars a year. And then you add another fifty dollars on top of that. Yeah. To so. yeah, to be in the the lottery. And of the lottery winners, a hundred of them come from the passport yeah. nominees, and then another fifty from US outside of the passport. Yeah, or is it uh, I think it might be the other way around. But yep. at the end of the day, the the, the passport club improves your chances of getting selected so you've got two, two two cracks at it really yeah and as john was saying it's 200 slots it's a lot you know I, I guess i what differentiates triathlon to a lot of other sports is you can go and line up against the best in the world at a given race whereas say the tour de france you just simply cannot go and ride the yeah, tour de france you yeah. go and, can't go and play in wimbledon yep so i kind of i like the idea of the lottery i think 200 slots is probably a few too many to yeah. my liking considering how many other people qualify what I've got a real issue was with um, with both the lottery and the seventy point three series is effectively you can turn up at Hawaii and not done an Ironman. Mm. So my thinking is that the lottery really should be restricted to people that have done an Ironman. You know, you've got to to be oh, eligible nice. for it, you've got to do an Ironman, and I think they should scrap seventy point three qualifying. You've got to do an Ironman before you go to Hawaii. Um, yeah, because at the end of the day, there are people out there who are just fanatical triathletes and they want to race Hawaii but at the end of the day they're probably never going to qualify they're just not quite good enough and it's getting harder and harder every year so and I kind of like it but with a few modifications yeah the thing is as well is that um, I'm not sure of the numbers that 73 have for qualification spots but I imagine it's a few and so if that's the case like I'm sure a few 70.3 people have done Ironman but mm. you know it could be at least a third of the field mm. haven't actually done an Ironman yeah you know leading into Hawaii and for all of us, or all the people out there who have done Nine Man, and you know, if that means 
you were kind of maybe seventh in your age group and you missed out on a slot, you know, I'd be gutted. Yeah, totally. I'd be an angry man. Yeah, so (laughs) I think they've got a few little modifications there. They're never going to please everybody, but in our opinions, we think they should uh, modify the the qualifying. It it must be pretty good money spinner for them too. Oh, totally, every year. I'm, I'm not sure how many... They get applying for the lottery, but I know it's thousands and thousands. Yeah. I remember times when I 50. was unsure of my qualifying. Qualifying, I thought well, maybe I could do the lottery. <laughs> Put my hand it's, up. Yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It'll be. Um, although I don't see it changing. I don't think. No, no, no. It's uh, it's good money spinner for them. They won't yeah. change that. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're on to a few results here. Um, I was just sort of scanning around the net to see what was happening uh, last weekend. And came across the, we're going to pronounce this wrong probably again, the Ubatuba half in uh, Brazil. So I'm I'm not actually that familiar with uh, a lot of the Brazilian athletes, but why I thought I'd bring it up was uh, I noticed the guy who got uh, fifth place was Alexander Manzan. And uh, he's a phenomenal runner. Um, He used to actually win World Cup races on a short course um, circuit when they sort of first introduced drafting. So he can run like the wind. So I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. He's... um, Got a lot of talent, so if he is sort of making a bit of a comeback, um, I think he could be a real threat at Ironman because he's just such a good runner. So but interesting find, to see where that goes. Find that with those type of guys, you know, like the half is quite similar mm. to short course or at least Olympic size. Yeah, you know, definitely. it's a totally different race. Do you it find is. that that transition? Yeah, I think that's what we'll cover a little bit uh, just further down the show. Is with the races that are coming up, we often do see a battle between the short course and long course guys over half. And quite often, I think the short course guys come out on top. Yeah, um, it is. You know, it's a faster game, isn't it? It's a much faster game. Mm. There's also an uh, strongman. Yeah, strongman's a race they have in uh, Okinawa, which is sort of between Taiwan and Japan. Um, it's Japanese territory, and they've had it. It's a it's a very very well established race. It's a 22nd edition, so I'm not quite sure if that's been going for 22 years or whether they've run it a couple of times um, per year in, in places, but. That's got to be one of the oldest triathlons on the circuit because I know that New Zealand uh, is was celebrating its 22nd year this year as well, and I think that's... You were the, the first international. Yeah, first yeah. international Ironman race outside of Hawaii, Hawaii so yeah. so good on them for that race. It was um, some pretty close racing. The guy who won, um, and again, we're going to completely balls up our pronunciations. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need a lesson in this stuff. Park, Park Bjorn Hoy, Hoy Hoon, yeah. which... Uh, I'm, that's probably I'm sure the easiest name of the lot too, so you did well. I'm not going to do the rest. <laughs> but he, uh, he's, a, he's a quality athlete. He's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if he's won an Ironman, but I know he's finished on the podium several times at Ironman Korea. He's from Korea. So he did 7.54, and it was pretty close racing. There was only three and a half minutes covering the top three guys. So... Um, Good on those guys. Pretty strong results. Lots of Japanese, obviously, racing. It's always nice um, when you can get in a longer distance race and exciting finish. You know, mm, at the end mm. where you get... I you imagine know. the crowds, they would have been going yeah, ballistic. Yeah, it would have been awesome. So some good results there. We'll post a link up on um, ironmantalk.com. So, so go pop on there if you're interested in seeing the uh, how the Japanese guys were doing there. Now, strongman, what is the strongman? What are the actual distances? It's uh, 3K swim. About 150k on the bike and then a marathon at the end. Oh, so, so they do the marathon still? Yeah. So oh, I w- sorry, his run time was great because it was 251. 251, yeah. so that's a solid run. Yeah. Um, the guy got second 250, so he was uh, slowly closing in on him. Yeah. Um, pretty strong results. Takumi Obara, who finished fifth. Again, he's another short course guy that used to race on the World Cup, get podium places, uh, very strong athlete, so he was there in fifth place. Um, so only 20 minutes covering top five in the guys. Uh First girl was Imo Shimshioni from Shioni? Japan as well. I think that's pretty good effort there, mate. <laughs> she, she cracked nine hours, eight <laughs> hours, 56. So a bit more of a spread than the girls, but uh, some good racing there. And there's lots and lots of races coming up next weekend. Yeah, some pretty major ones. I mean, uh, a lot of these are warm-ups for the sort of early season Ironmans. So a couple of the major ones are Wildflower. Now, that's, that's the big year, isn't it? That's the one you're talking of. Where yeah, you usually get the likes of Chris McCormick turning up there, Craig Alexander, um, few of the big short course guys, so um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Because Trenzo did well there, didn't he? Trenzo Bazzoni, he got uh, fourth there this last year. Yeah, guy yeah he's only, uh, he's under, <coughs> he's been the two or three time world champion in the under 19, so last year he gave Simon Lessing a real good hurry up and finished fourth place, so oh. um, that was pretty impressive, so I, I believe he's going to the States again, so I'll be quite keen to see how he goes. Um, so Wildflower's a biggie, I'm sure a lot of you listeners out Wildflower is 70.3, it's not, is it? Oh, you put, you put me on the spot I'm there. pretty sure it's not, actually, because I was looking. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure. St. Croix is yeah, Saint Croix this weekend, is. and yep. that's a 70.3. And uh, we had Shane Reed from New Zealand won that race last year. 
So he is a, a, a short course specialist. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can defend his title. Got the all, New Jersey Devil Man. New Jersey Devil Man. I've got a guy racing in there, a guy I coach in the States. Um, it's funny how we try to think of all these different names. Eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think it's good. Yeah, when it yeah, gets yeah. stuck in a box with, uh, with the Ironman Corporation. Gulf Coast Half. Got another guy racing there. That's also in America. In and Bustleton Half, which is uh, Bustleton's in uh, Western Australia, which is where they hold the Ironman Western Australia. So don't know if they use the same course, but um, it's always nice and warm over there in Perth. So fairly good hot race. Oh, that's cool. Just, um, yeah, so we'll look out for all those results this weekend and it's quite nice. We have lots to talk about results-wise. Mm. It's kind of been a quiet period race-wise. and yeah. yeah, and I guess a lot of people will do these races, warm up, and then we've got um, coming up all the Ironmans, so uh, Brazil, uh, Lanzarote. Yeah. So um, yeah, hopefully we'll have a few more results to talk about in the yeah, next few weeks. Pretty cool. Um, just one thing, we've been getting a lot of feedback from you guys, and which has been fantastic. We've had lots of feedback and lots of good stuff, so we're really happy with that. And uh, lots of feedback about the mics. Now, we know we've, <laughs> <laughs> we know we've been having problems with the mics and uh, the levels of the mics. We've One mic that we've bought seems to be cutting out all the time, so often what I've had to do afterwards is then somehow cut the track back and we only end up using one mic and I know last week's show in particular was quite quiet at times or at least my voice was and um so we're trying to get on top of this problem and we hope we've solved it but um just sorry about that and we do know there's a problem and thanks for your feedback on that and uh actually yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit again later Evan's on. Evan's going to smash this mic if it doesn't oh, work this I'm an angry man. <laughs> I spent hours trying to sort this crap out. But hey, got to do the show. So. <laughs> show must go on. And uh, you want to do the, the theme for the website of the week? Website of the week. Oh, I think we might add music to that as well. So website of the week. Okay, so my uh, pick for website of the week this week is www.cyclingnews.com. Um, it's a fantastic cycling site. So I know we're talking about Ironman and Triathlon. But I know a lot of you guys are really into your cycling and Tour de France, those sorts of things. This is the most comprehensive site that you'll ever find. Um, it's got daily news on all the pro teams, on anything that's happening in the world of cycling. They don't have podcasts though. No, <laughs> uh, so it's got a news section, it's got features, it's got loads of product reviews. And then when the major races are on, um, all the sort of races in Europe, all the major stage races, they have daily results. They have daily yeah, live thorough, coverage. Yeah. Um, very, very thorough. I know when I was, uh, they had a World Cup race in New Zealand um, back in March, and I saw the cycling news car zipping around behind the, the peloton. Oh, really? So, it's a, a, it's an Australian setup, um, but it's very much a worldwide site. But is it a magazine as well? Because often the magazines have their websites, or is it just purely? They don't seem I, to be I advertising don't a magazine. I think it's a magazine. There's a lot of advertising on the page, yeah, um, and so they're obviously coin. making some good money out of that, which is good on them. Yeah, so you got to do. Um, but but very very thorough. Everything you ever want to know, go back and look at past results of yeah. all the major tours, um, interviews, and there's some good links on there. Off. I mean, I know it's advertising, but. Um, you can get some really good cycling gear on the net very cheaply. Um, they have writers' diaries as well, which, as I imagine, yeah. is their blogs. If let's yep. just click on one, they've got um, plenty of top riders, plenty of tour riders, um, and they keep you in touch on on what it's like inside the uh, peloton. Yeah, no, it's really it's a really thorough. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so check it out. www.cyclingnews.com. Again, we'll have it in the show notes for um, this week on ironmantalk.com. Uh, okay, so we're going to do uh, the theme. Wait a second. Maybe I should just start this bit with the the theme i'm stealing this there's a program called high five for children ah. which when you have children you'll discover this ah. and uh it goes like this it goes one two three four high five so right that's what we're that talking was about four, wasn't it? <laughs> i might steal it from the show so a high five for this week we had our question from michael last week talking about what are our 10 most tips for a newcomer to the game and last week we covered before the race and today we're actually going to go into what are the five things that a new time a new person to the race should really think about going into it so do you want to start it off mate okay so my first one is uh fairly early on in the piece uh, it's not actually when you're racing but uh i know a lot of iron men are very very apprehensive and they have breathing difficulties in the swim so a suggestion i might make is that you go and do a decent swim warm-up obviously if it's really cold weather and cold water probably not such a good idea but if it's a nice warm gonna be a nice warm day the water's nice and warm i'd suggest going down there and, and relaxing getting in the water doing good warm-up do a couple of little um accelerations sort of race pace or just above race pace and just try and get your breathing in sync so then when the gun goes and you take off uh you're not absolutely uh heaving and hyperventilating straight away 
Nice. Uh, for me, I think uh, is a few, you know, your experience is new, so there's lots of things you'll learn from the race. But I think one thing is to be really smart with things like transitions and those type of areas. I know for me in my first race, my transitions were very, very slow. And I was just kind of like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter because I'm just doing my first race and I'm here to finish. But my first transition was like seven minutes. And, you know, like <laughs> it was, at the end of the day, I probably could have done it in two. Um, and, that, you know, those minutes add up. And so... Practice your transitions, practice all those things really well. And sure, you maybe want to be relaxed in that state, but at the same time, have a plan, go into it, and really just stick to the plan. Know what you're going to do, and so that when you come to those moments, you're actually going to attack them well. And, yeah. you know, it's, you know, definitely be easy on yourself in the race, but at the same time, be smart. And I definitely, I could have easily taken maybe 10, 15 minutes off my time in my mm. first race based on just doing a few things just a little bit smarter. So, yeah, yeah transition was definitely one of those areas for me. Just clean and crisp. Do, yeah. do things once, do it properly. Just yeah. Have an order. Like, really know what you are going to do. I'm going to jump on the seat. I'm going to take my suit off, you know. And that yeah. way, whereas nowadays I'm in and out and, you know, mm. I think I had one of the fastest transitions and, you know, that's valuable time. Mm. And I know first time is a game we said last week, just finish your race. But still, you know, if, you know. Get the objective is to get to the finish line, and you might as well get there as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah, so save some time there. Good yeah. tip. Um, this is a pretty common theme that I tell pretty much everybody: is uh, for the first half of the bike, just chill out. Uh, what you'll find is people will come zipping past you and be hammering it. And I think we've talked about it several times before, but it, just to put a number on it, I generally think about sixty percent of people ride too hard. So the first half of the ride, especially, just chill out. Just uh, just get into the groove, get that nutrition going in. And, uh, and just chill. And then in the second half of the bike, then you can consider picking it up just a little bit. Um, but really just chill out. Don't worry about people passing you on the first half of the bike. Yeah, definitely. That's so true. In the swim, if you, there's two things to think mm -hmm. of here. Is if you're confident in your swimming ability and you don't mind being smashed around a little bit, start up at the front of the swim. Now, this is for the more kind of experienced swimmer. But if you can get up with the top swimmers, um, the, the draft that you get and is just so – it's worth minutes again. And so for me, when I first started, I wasn't a strong swimmer, so I started quite far back, whereas nowadays I'm still not the best swimmer, but I just start riding the front row. And that way I get hit around a little bit, but I'm, I'm with faster people and so that I'm getting drafted off quite a lot. And with that, really focus on just finding toes to work off, you know, and I know in some seawater it's hard to see, but mm -hmm. if you can find a good draft of people in front of you of similar ability, you can hang on to their toes without drilling yourself because it's still early in the day. Again, it's really valuable time. For those newer people who may be not so confident in the water, um, it's a big thing that I'm in and you're not really going to be able to sim simulate that before the race and so maybe you do want to take it back and be a little bit more relaxed but if you are more confident and you don't mind getting whacked around a little bit although in Ironman I haven't found it to be uh, too aggressive it, it generally settles down I find after the first sort of 500 metres to, to a K uh, yeah. and from there on it's generally pretty yeah. Pretty. Everybody's pretty kind to each other. You know, you get you get the odd clip around the head but yeah. you don't get the fighting that you do in the, in the short course stuff no, no so um, yeah, just if I can add one thing onto that, I think um, make sure you plan in some some racing before your before your Ironman. Just even if you're not too worried about going out there and, and worried about your bike and your run, I'd suggest doing some races so you can just practice that swim and swimming in a bunch and getting off the line and so on. Or go to some club sessions if you have open water swimming and uh, and and get some contact and get used to get used to that. Really important. Yeah. Yep. Um. My next one is when you're on the bike, this is especially important if it's a, uh, a flat course or, or fairly flat, is to stretch fairly regularly. So every 15 minutes or so, get out of your saddle, stretch your back out a bit, stretch your neck out a little bit, um, just have a bit of a stretch with your legs. Um, rather than sitting in your aero position for you know 180 kilometres, uh, just have a bit of a stretch every now and then. Nice. If you are able to, this is my number three, I think. Yep. <laughs> if you are able to carry all your nutrition on your bike, do it. Um, I didn't never do it for the first three races. I didn't do that. And then you know, John said, well, you should. And basically what I we do nowadays is that basically you have like four water calorie pages on your bike. And um, with one, I basically have all my lepins or Pro 4 mm. inside that bottle. And so I have enough goo or type materials to be able to carry on the whole ride and so really i'm not really slowing down for every food station plus mm. i know i've got the right amount of food and you might want to mark the bottle and this way you know first of all that you're getting the nutrition that your body likes because you should have tested that beforehand and b you actually just you do save time because every time you go past a food station you've got to slow down you've got to catch it you've got to put it back and you might have to tip it into your front 
um, water carrier. So all these type of things, again, save you valuable minutes overall. So really have a, a bottle with all, at least your goo in it, and you might need to grab a bit of food along the way, and definitely your um, your water and your kind mm. of fluids, but uh, you'll find that, again, saves you time. Yep, something I do as well. I carry all my gels and... Uh my Pro 4 gels yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and one bottle. Again, you're sponsored so. by those. <laughs> so what you've got to um, do is different, different sorts of gels. You know, some are very liquid and, and, and they come out of the bottle very easily. Yeah, that's if true. You, if you use a thick gel, um, I use a thick gel. Uh, I just need to add in a bit of water and I give it a bit of a shake um, before I take a drink so that, that I get most of it out. And generally you should be able to carry enough for the whole ride. Oh, totally. You can get about um, 20, uh, 18 to 20 gels in a in a in a full-size bottle, so that should be plenty. Um, Okay, so my next one also relates to nutrition, Uh, and it's if you've got any stomach problems at all on the bike, whether you might feel nauseous uh, or you're just generally not feeling well, uh, it's probably an indication that you've either gone too hard um, and your stomach's not handling that too well, or you've eaten too much and your stomach's not handling that too well either. Uh, So my suggestion is if this happens during the race, just drink water for about 20 minutes. Uh, don't have any more food or any more um, energy drink, electrolyte drink. Just drink water for about 20 minutes and hopefully that'll just get your stomach flowing again and things will start to calm down and then you can resume your sort of normal pace and also resume your nutrition plan. Yeah, no, that actually happened to me in my <coughs> excuse me, in my last Ironman, uh, about 20k to go on the bike, I was actually, my stomach was really starting to play out because I just had so many sugary type foods and <clears> um, or lepins and stuff. And so I really did just do that. I just stopped eating yeah. and uh, just drunk lots. And then when I got off the bike, I felt great. So yeah, yeah it's definitely. very, very common. So just drink a bit of water, keep it natural. Yeah. The other thing as well is um, maybe if you want to, is try to get hold of those electrolyte pills because in my first race ever, they the electrolyte they had in a drink was um, quite watered down mm. and I, I, I cramped quite bad in that race and I do put that down to some of the fact that the the liquids or the electrolyte drink they were handing out during the race was just not strong enough and, mm-hmm. you know, you had your mix that you practised with on, you know, in your stuff and you made sure the right amounts were in there and then when I got into the race it was really watered down and I was concerned about that quite early on. So um, you can get some quite good electrolyte pills nowadays and so basically when I'm racing I have so many of the, like I have little packets, I have like probably 10 packets in my back in my pocket in my shop top and I pull those out every half an hour and just according to when I need to do them. I also have like my sodium tablets and all the things that you can have to help the nutrition side of things. So mm-hmm. You know, that's a way of getting around that. If there's a couple of brands, I mean, there's a number of electrolyte <laughs> tablets out there. Um, one, and I found they work. I, I really yeah, like them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I had a couple in Hawaii this year. Um, Pro Four make an electrolyte tablet. Oh, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, funny that. <laughs> but also, uh, there's another brand called None, and they're actually dissolve dissolvable electrolyte ones. Oh, okay. Um, and so then, you which just, is good if you can't swallow that well with yeah, pills. Yeah. Yeah. So you just uh, grab a bottle of water, you pop it in, and it dissolves, and it's got a uh, quite a high sodium content as well as uh, electrolytes as well. Another nice thing about that is as well, again, practices before the race, but um, you can just be drinking more water, and so it's not so mm. so many kind of sugary fluids upsetting your stomach. Exactly. Um, yeah, that was my fourth tip. My, la- <laughs> my last one is uh, to smile. You've smile. got to enjoy the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep smiling. Uh, if it's your first race, uh, every discipline that you complete is a personal best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just enjoy yourself. You know, Keep smiling. Keep grooving, and uh, don't get too stressed. If you fall a little bit behind perhaps what you're your target times were. Don't worry about it. It's a long day. Um, you can make it up later on, and uh, acknowledge your friends and family in the crowd when you're running past, and they'll be cheering you on. And uh, you don't need to stay in the zone every single second of no. the day. And no. they'll enjoy if you just say, "Oh, I'm feeling fantastic," or "Oh, God, I'm feeling like shit." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they'll enjoy a few comments and uh, make sure you smile for the camera as well and get a few nice pictures. So and, and give enjoy the, the um, people who are helping out a bit of a, bit yeah. of a wink or a bit of a smile. And- yeah, it's something that really pisses me off is when people start abusing officials. Yeah. Um, you know whether they're yeah. out there on the course or they're they're giving out food or doing whatever. Um, just, you know, the odd thank you doesn't take that much out of you. I know when you're going through aid stations, it's quite difficult to say thanks yep. when you're shoving things in your mouth. But uh, but there's no need to abuse an official. So uh, most, no, and pretty much, their day, most of them aren't paid. Pretty much all of them. It's all volunteer stuff. Well, so. the, the people in Hawaii who are out in the middle of nowhere. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> the he. Yeah. Um, um, I'm going to just touch on one thing there. Is, is with that, especially in the run, yell out what you want food wise because you should know what they're going to be handing out 
as soon as you see that aid station, just start yelling out, okay, I want I want Lepin, I want Elf, Pro 4, I want mm-hmm. Banana, I want Chocolate or Coke, whatever. You know, you're basically yelling out as soon as you see them because they don't know and they've got so many people passing them. So you want to be as helpful as you can and don't mm-hmm. be aggressive in doing it, but definitely just let them know, okay, this is what I need. And you'll find mm-hmm. that someone will hear you and they'll come to you and I find that works really well for me. Yeah. The, the, um, the tables are usually laid out so you go sort of something like Water, Coke, Pro 4, yeah. um, bananas bars but yeah they're all yelling out what they're holding so definitely that's a fantastic tip tell them what you want and uh and one of them there's usually loads of people there they'll yeah. just hold it out and you'll be able to go through nice and smoothly and also really great if they miss you they often run up and catch you as well so mm. yeah you know they're great um lastly it's it's kind of kind of, kind of get two and one here um start the run easy like the bike start the run easy mm. um the run is a long way and you can start the run and you feel fresh you know you get off the bike you just feel fresh and you don't base it on your feeling. Base mm. it on what your knowledge is and really just start the run at what you feel is a real comfortable, if not slow pace. If you've got anything to kick in within the last quarter, third of the race, you know, give it heaps then. Um, because that's, you know, that's when you, if you can run the marathon without stopping, you will pass hundreds of people. Mm, totally. You know, if you start walking, you're just basically, you're losing so much time. So definitely that. And just one quick tip, one thing I like to do, I'm not sure if this is a good tip or not, but they often hand out ice. I like to, I wear tri shorts, um, underneath my shorts. And I like to actually put the ice on my shorts so it's actually having the coldness on my legs as I'm running along and it melts as I'm running. Um, you need kind of tight shorts to do that, but, you know, I don't know, try mm. it out. Yeah. I mean, another main area to try and keep cool if it is a, day, a hot day is obviously your head. Uh, so putting ice in your cap, uh, yeah. trying to put some water down your back and just trying to cool yourself down a bit. Yeah, it's really important. So that's our one, two, three, four, high five for this week. Yay! <laughs> yeah, bring it on. And uh, we're actually... We're not going to do Coach's Corner this week. No, because we're, we're cutting you out. We're cutting me out. We've got uh, Coach Molina in the house. Coach Molina. So uh, he, he's got a number of tips there, so we don't really have time for Coach's Corner this week, but that's uh, fine. It'll be back better than ever next week. Yeah. Uh, we're really excited about this interview to get Scott on here. He's obviously one of the legends of the sport. We did have blimmin' microphone problems, so the interview goes for around about half an hour. So... Um, for the first 17 minutes, it was pretty good. And then what happened was our mic started creating a, a kind of a terrible crackling. sound. Yeah, crackling is the word I'm looking for. And uh, so you'll hear that start to come in around the 18 minutes. So, And then it just got terrible to the point where you just wouldn't even listen to it. So what I had to do is try something to make it work. Now, at that point, I'll actually stop it and I'll tell you to turn up. So you basically have to turn up your microphone or at least your volume on your player, and you'll be able to hear him better. It's, it's not ideal, but it was either cut it out and not have it in at all, or put it in there and really just get it working. Um, listen to it. It's a great interview, and persevere, especially in that particular last 10 minutes, you will be able to understand what he's saying, and it's all good. Um, yeah, it broke, oh, it broke my heart. I spent a day <laughs> and a half. It was killing me. <laughs> so hopefully it's the last of my mic problems. Um, yeah, so what are you on to for the weekend, mate? Uh, I've got another running race tomorrow. It's, How'd you go last week? How'd you go in the running race? It's stage two in my shock therapy treatment. Shock therapy treatment. I'm uh, in woeful shape, so I'm trying to get this to shock me into into training. And uh, so far, it's looking pretty good. I mean, last week's time was pretty ordinary, but it was just a little 4.2k race. So I did that, and then tomorrow one is a 5k relay, runner two laps through a forest. Um, so it's off road, so it's quite oh, fun. Nice. And uh, I'm I'm first off man tomorrow, so I'll be going head to head with all the fast guns. Already the fast guys go first, is it? Yeah, so uh, so we'll see how that goes. But it's uh, how do you arrange the team? How do you? Oh, you just join up to a club, and And then uh, they give you three other guys. Yeah, yeah, we just got guys in club. We've got a very strong team actually. Scott Molina runs for the same club as I, Um, and so really it's just a bit of shock therapy for me. And uh, I've got a 15k race coming up, and might even be the week next weekend, the weekend after. So So it's uh, all on, eh? We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I might maybe put my uh, heart rate. Zones or something up on the on uh, the site for that 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 uh, race. Hey, so if you have any uh, questions, we've had some questions come through. We've actually had some questions we were going to answer this week, but limited to time, we were unable to do it. So next week's show, we have a few questions from a few of you guys that we're actually going to go into. Um, if you want to look at the show notes, go to www.ironmantalk.com where we have everything we've talked about, all the links to the things we've talked about. While you're there, you must click on Gmail ads because we make money from there. Make sure you click on the Google ads. <laughs> click on the Google ads. That's how we make our money. We're making, <laughs> we're not really making millions yet, but you know, like if you can click on that, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> does that come across as desperate? Yeah, well, <laughs> gotta pay for this somehow. And um, and yeah, just have a good week. Train hard, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Uh, I suppose you're itching here, Scott. So let's bring it on.
See you later. Okay, and in, in the uh, fabulous Iron Man Talk studio today, we've got uh, Scott Molina. <clears throat> Welcome along, Scott. Thank you very much for having me. Um, hopefully, we don't need to give too much of an introduction, introduction to Scott. He uh, should be fairly well known to you guys. Uh, obviously, won the Hawaii Ironman in 88 in Hawaii, uh, and also through the 80s and 90s, probably won more triathlons than most people ever do in their lives. So um, he was obviously part of the big four with Mark Allen, Dave Scott, Scott Tinley and Scott himself, but rather than sort of dwell on that too much today, there, we've said there's been loads of interviews and, and books, and, and there's actually an interview up on uh, Triathlete Mag at the moment with Scott talking about the past and <clears throat> with those guys. So what we're going to do today actually is talk about a few other things and try and uh, pull out a bit of Scott's knowledge. We're going to talk a little bit about Epic Camps, how they sort of came about, and get a few of Scott's ideas on his favourite workouts and so on. So. Uh, also got Bevan here, he might chip in with a few things he wants to random questions. find out as well. Um, the first thing we wanted to go over was uh, obviously something I'm involved in as well, it's Epic Camps. Um, I've done an Epic Camp as an athlete and now sort of organising them, but I wasn't really involved in the, the first few camps which uh, Gordo and Scott started. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how it all came about, the, the start of Epic Camps. Well, my idea was that, that I wanted to find an excuse uh, to <laughs> get out of the house and go train, right? Uh, and so if I could figure out a way to make a living at that, uh, at least uh, cover my expenses, then that was a f- fantastic idea, just on its own. And and I wanted no more than that really for myself at first. And then I thought um, as, I, as I developed the idea further with Gordo is that uh, perhaps we could come up with a training camp that some really good people could come to um, with the idea that they could take their training and performance to another level. And when I say good, I mean sub-10-hour Ironman. Most of the camps that you do nowadays are very uh, how-to, a lot of talking involved, Mm -hmm. and um, probably not something that a guy like uh, Cam Brown is all that interested in. So I wanted to have a camp that was uh, something that really good people would look at and uh, really good age groupers would look at, and also people who have done a a zillion Ironmans already um, and are not looking to go back and do Florida, you know, for the fifth time. <laughs> Maybe they want to do something else with their holidays uh, and their and their, you know, their money. And so I thought, well, you know, perhaps coming to the South Island of New Zealand and, and doing a big tour for two weeks is something that would appeal to those people, uh, um, who, oftentimes, if you're doing an Ironman or two, let's say per year, you know, you just don't have another opportunity to get away and do anything else. That eats up all your money and all your your holiday time. So so I wanted to provide something that, you know, people who are looking for something a little bit different uh, might want to do. So how many camps have you done now so far? I think we've done six. And which one has been the hardest? The hardest? Uh, ooh, good question. I'd say probably the, um, the one in Australia we did because of the heat. We had just some incredible heat there. What kind of heat? Like- uh, f- f- over 40. Uh, yeah, and, and the humidity was high. It was sunny. Wow. Um, and the roads there were quite rough. You the, did that one too, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. A lot of <laughs> that had a lot more vertical gain than I oh, thought yeah. that, than I thought it was going to have. And so when I planned the routes, you know, uh, I thought, oh, that'll be a, a moderately hilly ride, and yeah. then end up having over ten thousand feet of climb. Oh wow! Yeah, so that that camp uh, took me by surprise a little bit. <laughs> it sort of uh, leads me on a little bit to my next question, which I don't know if I've got the right answer for. You. I'm just wondering if I know what you're going to say here. What do you think was the hardest day you've ever had on Epic Camp, in any Epic Camp? Uh, definitely Brown Mountain Day. In, <laughs> That's what uh, I thought. I was, yeah, like, <laughs> I was there. Yeah, the, the, you know, that was, as you remember, the, I think we had about 45 degrees on that climb. Yeah, really? And, wow. uh, and a, you know, a 15K climb with that kind of heat uh, a week into a camp when you're already de- exhausted and depleted. You know, I, I pulled over and, le- and, and and laid in a stream uh, really? to cool off. Dead. And, yeah, and that, uh, and, uh, what was funny that day is we had um, we, we pick, no no we picked up Bjorn Anderson at the top of the climb, and he had been camped out there uh, for quite a while, and he was in bad bad shape, <laughs> and so when we pulled into the next town, he just laid down, 
And I thought we should pack that guy in ice. <laughs> He's in deep shit. He wasn't. Say, he wasn't saying anything. And then uh, we still had about sixty k to go. Oh uh, really? Yeah, for the end of the day. And he just sat on the back and did not say a word. <laughs> and it was like he was afraid to be left alone because he was just going to fall over and that was it. Wow. You know, he was going to cark it. Yeah. And so that was just amazing to see this, you know, guy who's the best cyclist in the sport, just yeah. sitting on a bunch of us old hacks, you know, and he was just holding on for dear life. So, that, so that, did many people, did everyone complete the ride? Oh, yeah. They did. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, what I remember about that day is <clears throat> we started off and there was just hills from the start. It was just hill after hill right. after hill. Not not too big, but it was just, there was, well, there was no flat. And I was riding with Scott and there was another fella, Peter Hancock, an Aussie guy who was pretty chipper. And he had his uh, Polar 625 RA monitor on and, he was giving us little temperature updates, and we probably started at, I don't know, 9 o'clock in the morning. And um, as we were going along, we were approaching this really big climb. Peter was giving us updates, and he goes, right, we've hit, you know, 38, yep. we've hit 40. And then he said, we've hit 45 degrees. And I don't know if it, it was incredibly hot, whether we hit 45 or not, but it was just like you were riding along, and it had somebody had a hot oven door in front of you. Really? And we were going up the mountain with Scott, and there's Scott pedaling behind me, he goes, I'll see you at the top. <laughs> and uh, we started quite late and we were just passing guys the whole way up the climb and because some of the slow guys had started out earlier yeah. and there were guys just weaving over the road and your hands were sweating so much oh, you could yeah. hand, hardly hang on to your, your, your bars. And then you got to the top and then all of a sudden this howling wind started and so you're getting buffeted by this wind. And we've got what we do on Epic Camps is we have a really good support crew you know, we usually have sort of two or three minivans out there supporting people all the way around. But this day, people have just got so spread out. The support guys were, were all over the show, and they were trying to make sure that the guys that were really blowing up yeah. weren't getting into sort of dangerous trouble. So you get to the top, you get a bit of a drink, and then you you just had to wait for, for ages to get, in, get another drink. And the, it was really was an epic day, and I think the stories get a bit longer if we don't really tell them. <laughs> um, so that was good. I was glad you answered that one because I found that a pretty tough day as well. Um, so yeah. So where do you, where do you see Epic going? Is this something you see doing long term? And if so, you know what's it going to become? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's the highlight of my year is doing the really camps. It is. Yeah, it is doing the camps every year, and I hope to go to different places. Yeah. Do different rides. Uh, train with different people. Um, keep it fresh for me. If it's fresh for me, then I know it's yeah. going to be fresh for everybody else. And um, and make new challenges each time you know we we add a little bit of uh different aspect to the competitive part of the camp each time we have a little uh point system uh where where people have incentive to to take chances in their training you know and go for it and race a little bit and so i hope to tinker with that system uh, each time to make it interesting and fun uh even for the people who've done the camps before yeah uh, yeah i think it'll be it'll be mostly for the older age group guys who are who are really good yeah. who have done just about everything else and they're looking to expand on the part of the sport they like most, which is training with their friends. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's, it's really good fun. I mean, the guys really bond. You go through some pretty tough times. I don't think anybody goes through the camp and doesn't have a bad day. And uh, and so guys get pretty close, and you're out there for an awful long time every day, so you can have some pretty uh, pretty long conversations, and that's, that's part of the camp is the coaches you know, on the camp um, they, everybody gets to meet Scott and Gordo, and, and those are two guys with a huge amount of experience. And uh, and you get to ride along on the bike with them, and and perhaps talk about things that you might not really cover in, say, a, a standard sort of camp. Yeah, bring it on. And um, what we're just going to ask Scott a few things about now is um, strength training. It's probably an area Bevan might have a few comments on as well. He, Bevan's a, a instructor at a gym mm-hmm. and uh, does a lot of aerobics, but also used to do quite a bit of personal training. So I know it's something you. You spend quite a bit of time in the gym. Um, what do you think is the best time of the year to spend in the gym, and, and do you get your athletes that you coach to be in the gym all year, or do you have sort of periodize it out a bit? Some people who I work with who are not very strong, uh, smaller, older women in particular, seem to get the most benefit from the gym. Uh, scrawny runner types uh, get a lot of benefit from the gym. And big, big guys, uh, powerful guys, uh, ex-football players, you know, don't need to go in the gym very often, so it depends on the individual. But there's also a lot of people who live in very cold climates. You yeah. know, uh, I coach people from Toronto and Calgary, for instance, and they're inside without going out. You know, for five, six months of the year, and so they're in the gym anyway. That's where they're doing a lot of their their tra- their training, either on the 
a spinning bike or on the treadmill and and those people it's a it's a natural uh natural thing to go in the gym and do a little bit of something um or else they just go nuts uh, all winter uh, so yeah it depends on the individual and their circumstances i i know it's not for everybody but i like the gym uh, i get a lot out of it and um as I get older, I realize that there are some things, just a few little things that I absolutely must do to keep myself healthy so I can do the rest of the training that I really like. Yeah. What about someone who's a little bit younger? You know, like for me, I spent, before I got into this sport, I spent a good four years of day in, day out, just hardcore weights. And I, I think that's fundamentally one of the good things why I don't get injured and, you know, I have a really good foundation as such. Do you think it's good for maybe those younger kids to be doing weights? You know, you know, maybe teenager later years. Well, it's hard. It's hard to fit it all in. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, if you had spent all that time running and biking, yeah, you be know, yeah. perhaps you'd be better off. So it depends on your physique, your natural tendency to be strong or weak, and your your injury history. Um, <clears throat> it's it's hard to fit it all in. I I I try to prioritize workouts for everybody yeah. and say, okay, well, if this is if the crunch comes and you can only fit in this or that, this is what you should choose first. Um, and so weight training is something that takes time, uh, like every other session. So it, it needs to be balanced out with all the other training. Um, you know, like I said, I, I like it. I have the time to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I get good results from it. So I'll keep doing it. Do you have any, um, I mean, I know when you go to the gym, you can, you can either do free weights, you can do core work, or you can do machines. Do you have any particular exercises that you think if somebody is going to the gym, the, the, the ones that, Pretty much everybody should do. Yeah, I think there should be some abdominal exercises. Uh, if they include uh, a little bit of twisting, a little bit of crunching, a little bit of side bending, different movements other than just plain old crunches, that's probably better. Uh, and everybody should do something for their low back, either uh, deadlifts or back extensions um, or some variation of those. Mm -hmm. Um, do you stretch a lot in between sets? Yeah, I do. I do. I do stretch, and I also do almost all of my exercises full range of motion. Yeah. Like for instance, with my chest exercises, most of the time I'll do um, pec deck or uh, dumbbell uh, dumbbell flies or yeah. dumbbell bench press or dumbbell incline somewhere where I get a full stretch yeah. every rep. Same thing with chin ups. Um, same thing with leg extensions. So you can stretch through the movement. Everything I try to do full range of motion, even though. Like for cycling, for instance, it's it's become very um, popular to just uh, use the range of motion that you use on the bike, and I think that's a mistake. I think you should use a much more full range of motion uh, to increase your flexibility, not not limit it like that. Mm -hmm. What about if you were to have an athlete who was maybe weaker in the swim, bike, or run? Would you? advise them to go to the gym before that or would spend more time doing those other things? I'd say both. It depends on the individual and how much time and energy they have. Uh, if if I think that their, their cycling or running, for instance, is limited just by endurance, if they right. just haven't ridden or ran, yeah. then then we've got to try and get that volume up somehow. Um, if, if they're uh, limited by injury, then I'd say, okay, well, well, we'll creep along there and just barely increase it a little bit, but in, go to the gym in the meantime and see if we can just get the lower body working a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Mm -hmm. That's a few gym tips for you there. Uh, I can't stand the gym. <laughs> you can never find me there. Um, I, I do see the benefits of it, but I just don't like being the place. And I tend to <clears throat> like to go outside and I do plyometrics and I do my core work outside, going around a park. Um, I run a session, two sessions a week actually. One on a Monday where I take a big squad and we, the first half hour of it is just core exercises. Um, plyometrics, jumping, things like that. And then I run another session where we go around a park called Hagley Park. And as we go around that park, we do things like dips, chin-ups, and more, quite a bit of abdominal work. So, yeah, there's two ways of doing it. Obviously, going to the gym. Um, that's not my cup of tea. Um, it probably is something that I, I know I would benefit from. But uh, I think one of the things you talk about a lot, Scott, is you've got to do things with your training which, which make you happy. And... Uh, and and that, that enjoyment factor's got to be there, you know, things that will get you out there training and you know you'll enjoy rather than just doing things all the time, maybe by yourself because it's an Ironman, you know, yeah. got to go out there and train by myself and uh, I've got to do exactly my program. But I think that's something I've heard you talk about in the past is you do need to in, uh, include, you know, group things if you're a, yeah, well, you one thing that's nice things. about the gym is that you, you <clears throat> often have a training buddy, or at least my experience has been you have a mate who you catch up with and... As much as you work out, you've got someone here to spot you, but also 
It's just a good social catch-up, eh? A lot of people don't like, you know, they don't like, like John, they don't, yeah. they don't really like the feel of the gym, the, the environment there. Um, unfortunately, if you live in Ottawa and you can't, <laughs> you, you can't go outside for six months, yeah. or Sweden or Finland or, you know, yeah. most of the world, really, um, you know, you got to be somewhere. And yeah. so, so I think, yeah, to, to find a way to make the gym environment work for you is mm. something that most people would benefit from. Mm. But I agree, it's got to be fun if it's... Um, if you're not a social animal, you know, and uh, and let's face it, a lot of hermits, uh, <laughs> hermit types are, are attracted to yeah, to, to triathlon uh, and marathon running. Um, you can still still make it make it work for you. You know, I used to um, watch CNN um, while running on the treadmill, um, yeah. oftentimes in Boulder in the winter. So you just need to find out what works for you, really. Okay. Um, favorite key workouts you give to an athlete. Uh, a long ride in the hills where I just say ride as you feel yeah. um, and that gives them a lot of scope to, to go hard. Uh, sometimes I'll set limits for them, uh, heart rate limits. Sometimes I won't. Um, but that's the key for, for almost all distance triathlons is get on your bike and go long. It's the safest, best way to build endurance. So that's um, that's an integral part of all the programs that I write. Even for the people who live in winter uh, environments, I, I do give them some, some long indoor sessions. Uh, which unfortunately are not that that fun after a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, other key sessions, uh, I like I like something on objective in the track, uh, um, on the running track, uh, at, for at least a couple months of year, uh, because I think a lot of people do everything on heart rate these days, and they're not quantifying how fast they're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Garmin's and different mm-hmm. different um, GPS devices, it's getting a little bit easier. Um, but even then, I I like the track; it's exact. You know exactly how fast you're going, and so I tend to use it for most people if they're willing to to get on it. You're talking about an all-service track or a grass track, or a, I just mean, just doesn't, doesn't matter as long as it's an accurate 400 meter track. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, one question I've got down here is: uh, What do you think the most common mistakes that athletes that are fairly new to the sport make? Have you got any like a Know, top five maybe of some things that you we see like top fives <laughs> sure. something some things that you see time and time out um athletes making mistakes more focused towards iron man sort of side of things i think most people backslide a little bit m- too much on their off season they uh, take too much time off mm-hmm. uh, when they should be doing a little bit more maintenance especially short runs um, they gain too much weight um, in the off season and they spend the first six to eight twelve weeks just getting back to where they were uh, at the at the start of each year, whereas if they just maintained a little bit, even you know thirty minute runs, forty minute runs, whatever, um, it would take them only a few weeks to get back to normal training. I think so. That's the number one uh, number one thing I see. Um, the second um, biggest mistake I think is is people don't set up their their house uh, to to make it easy mm-hmm. to, to to yeah to to get some training done. Um, you know, the, the time and expense that people go through, uh, you know, to train, um, you know, sometimes it just boggles my mind. You know, I'd rather not drive to train, for instance, if I can set up everything to go from my house, you know, that time savings is huge. Um, uh, again, people in winter climates, you know, if you're serious about doing the sport, well, you're going to need some stuff at home. You're going to need a good comp trainer. You know, you're going to need a treadmill, um, those are the minimum probably things, and that and that's a big investment. But and and it takes up space in your house, and you, the rest of your family has to put up with it. Uh, so, so there's some compromises that need to be made, but they make life so much easier if you go ahead and make them. So we're we gonna see a 25 meter pool out the back of your place at some stage. Well, <laughs> you have at the beach. I, have, I, I do have an ocean, um, and uh, I do have my Vasa trainer. Yeah. And, and I am building a gym on top of my garage. So I'm, I'm getting there. Got the I've, got mo- I've got most of it already. It's actually it's interesting because I remember years ago when I first started in the sport, I came and talked to you just down at Equigen one day and you know you were kind of just judging me up and the thing you didn't comment on was my weight. And, you were, and I just found that really fascinating at the time. That, you know, I'm, I'm quite lean but still quite big in, in my own way. Um, Come well, on, you're, no, you're, I'm you're not fatty. huge. You're I'm fatty. not huge but I'm lean. But <laughs> I just I was fascinated at the time that you know you looked at me and your judgment was based on a lot of my weight and my body shape. And you know, I just... just interesting hey guys sorry about the interruption uh this is actually where the uh mic as we were talking about earlier started playing up a little bit so you may want to turn up the volume to its absolute maximum to hear scott clearly 
Um, again, it's not ideal, but you know, persevere because it's definitely worth listening to. At the time, big, big guys have a hard time running fast. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's all muscle, even even harder because it's harder to lose muscle mm. than it is to lose fat. If you're just a fat guy, you know, you could probably lose that very quickly and become mm. a skinny runner in no time. Mm. If you've got a lot of muscle, um, and I do coach some guys who are ex football players and they have a very hard time getting under, let's say, 80, 85 kgs. Yeah. And, you know, and if they want to run down in the three hour range or under three hours, you know, that's a heck of a lot of weight it's a tremendous amount of oxygen you have to process to move a body that's that heavy so what sort of things do you get to try and get people not not just to lose their fat but more to, to lose muscle it's harder it's a lot harder um, they have to get their their training volume up uh, run volume up mostly um, they have to uh, live on the edge of overtraining because you're you're losing protein every day you know you're, you're in a catabolic state every day and um, and that's a tricky thing to do, and so it, it mostly has to be done in the off season. You know, November for most people, November to March, that's when they have to trim down. Hmm. And unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. in some ways, do you find maybe that they have to accept, like for me, that it takes time. Like for me, for sure. I've lost about ten kg of weight of muscle over about four years. So you know, when I first started out, I was the traditional weight guy from the gym whereas now my arms are mean and you know quite skinny in comparison and it's you know it took time as well yeah so, it does it does take a lot of time and it's, and it's frustrating because you know when you're five percent body fat yeah and hungry all the time and you're training your tail off you know to think that i've just got to just you know not eat that <laughs> that's to me that's that's one of the hardest things in the sport yeah yeah definitely cool i've got a few general things we want to ask scott about um we know you've obviously got Epic Camp France coming up. Um, have you got any other plans for this year, with uh, this year and maybe next year for racing? Anything particular well, you want to share with the world? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm running healthy for the first time in uh, in a few years. Uh, last time I really had a good stint prior to this running was uh, 2001, getting ready for Brazil. Yeah. And so um, I had a few years of, of just misery uh, trying to get my running back again. Now I'm running decent again, so that's nice. So I'm going to try and do cross country and road races at Alwyn. Ooh, for the Sumner Running Club. Yeah, for the Sumner Club. I'm, I'm out there this weekend, my first appearance of the year. And um, and and that's all. I don't have a lot. Of, I don't have any triathlon goals for the rest of the year. Uh, I'm just going to get ready for my camp um, in June and then um, cruise really as far as uh, cycling and swimming go until maybe uh, gearing up for the summer races and my next camp. Do you, do you have like a five-year plan? Do you still kind of do that stuff? I have one, only one big goal, and that's when I turn 50. I'd like to, um, I'd like to be in decent shape. Yep. Now, for me, at the moment, like to maintain, I think if I'm not in, let's say, 940, 945 shape, yeah. sort of, that seems very egotistical, but uh, well, but that's, that's, that's the kind of shape yeah. I want to be in all the time. Yep. That's, my, that's my normal, you know. If Stock. I, yeah. if, I can't, if I can't think about cranking out a 940, <coughs> weeks from now yeah then I'm, I'm not happy I, yeah. need to, I need to be in that sort of shape um and hopefully when i'm when i'm 50 i can go how far away is 50 three and a half years had to ask the question so i want to i don't want to wear myself out prior to that yeah so, um, um hopefully i can stay healthy and be a little bit more sensible uh, so that i can go fairly quick when i'm 50. this is a question i touched on before the interview is that you've come from being you know, the highest that the sport has to offer. And, you know, age now, you know, like as you say, you're coming up 50 or three years from now. Um, what's it like to go from being from that very top level, you know, and then have to let that go over time? And, you know, what is that like? Yeah, I've had a long time now yeah. to, to get used to the idea that I'm slowing down. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm not that happy about it. Um, so I spent a lot of time uh, in my training <coughs> not looking at my bike computer. Yeah. measuring myself to see how fast I'm actually running um, so that I can enjoy it a little bit more and still feel like Superman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of trick myself that way. Uh, you know, I don't, honestly, I don't feel, other than my aches and pains, I don't feel like I should be going slow. Really? Yeah, I think, oh, why should I be going slow? I should expect to go fast, you know. And so it's only when I train with somebody really quick. Yeah. Klaus or Gordo or Christian Bond or somebody, and I'm sitting on their wheel uh, thinking, oh, boy. <laughs> I'm not this quick. Yeah. Um, 
but even then, I enjoy that. I enjoy that side of training. You know, going out there and hanging on and <laughs> and really ripping, uh, covering some ground. But it's it's an adjustment for sure. Uh, you know, the the other side of it, the gray hair, you know, the wrinkles, all that shit. You know, I can I could do without that. Too. <laughs> it's life. I can only work so hard to 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 mitigate those things. Yeah. And I do make some effort, but you know, I gotta accept the inevitable a little bit. Yeah. I think it's really hard for um. I mean, say someone like Steve Larson, who, who wants to keep racing, he's clearly not a pro. And I guess I'm falling into this category a bit as well. I, I mean, I certainly didn't race the same level Scott was at, but I still want to keep racing. But it's a very egotistical thing, you know. When when do you change from being racing a pro and going into age grouper? And it's, uh, well, it's quite a challenge. You made this comment the other day. Uh, I forget what we were. Maybe it was on Epic or just Bright Epic that I'm, you know, you said I'm not running anything. <laughs> five minute cake. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your head was at. It's like that's not running. Yeah. You know who runs that slow? It's not, it's not for me. And, and at times I do feel like that. Yeah. You know, I feel like, God, you know, this is not running. You know, come on, get going. Um, but then at other times I just seem to think, hey, you're outside, you're doing it. It's a nice day. You know, just drop that ego. Just accept it. You know, keep going. Although one of the good things is that sometimes ego. When I was younger, I was quite a good athlete, and then through my teenage years, my ego made me stop doing sport because I didn't do as successfully as I wanted to, and sometimes that can be a negative that can actually stop you doing the thing you love, mm. and so it's good that you, you know, haven't had mm. that kind of step in the way. Yeah. Um, one thing we talked about on the show um, a couple of weeks ago was the new race down in Queenstown called the Challenge Queenstown, which we're going to incorporate into our Epic Camp next year. Um, you're involved in it uh, a little bit. I'm not quite sure how much, but I know you, you know the organizers quite well. Um, any developments on that? Well, yeah, I am helping Matt Chuck a little bit uh, assemble the pro field. And um, just because I know uh, so many of the pros uh, who, who might be interested in coming down um, and spending some time here in Christchurch over our summer. And I, I think it's exciting because the way the Ironmans have been going is uh, the races have been getting flatter and flatter and flatter, and everybody's now concerned with what time he did. Mm. You know, you know, you know, a hundred people who have done an Ironman, and of course, everybody wants to compare time, mm. and and that's just all about doing uh, a flat, fast course. Yeah, and that's the way the, the the sport seems to be headed, and I think it's a disturbing trend. I mean, I I don't do an Ironman to necessarily get a fast time. I do it because it's a damn big challenge. Yeah. It gets me out the door to do some exercise and be fit, and that's what mm. be. And and Queenstown is going to present a hell of a challenge, much mm. like the old school Ironmans uh, mm. that I grew up with. Mm. Um, you know, it's not going to be a flat, fast course. It's going to be a brutal course. Yeah. And, uh, You're doing it. <laughs> so, and so the people who are looking for more of a a challenge, yeah. you know, than than the, the homogenized Ironmans that are available today, I think they're going to get it. That's kind of a, that's a neat development. Mm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. We um we a couple of weeks ago we mentioned uh, Hawaii maybe moving, the world champs at least maybe moving from Hawaii. Just you know, what's your take on this? I I have a hard time envisioning it. Yeah. Uh, like the Boston Marathon course changing. It's just starting to get that kind of history, you know, and uh, <clears throat> that's a hard race. It's a real hard race, and I would hate to see the world championships, for instance, go to a place like Florida or Arizona. Or any flat course where there's going to be a thousand people sitting in a pace line, you know, and it's a, and it's and it's not a significant challenge. Not that the distances aren't just as great, yeah. ah, but but that's not what makes the race. The, the Kona is is about the heat and the wind, you know, overcoming those things, um, as well as a very competitive field. Um, and something about being on a little island, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Something about you know makes it special. I felt I got shortchanged this year. I mean, I didn't race well for a number of reasons, but because there was no wind this year, I felt like I'd been shortchanged. And, you know, it's, uh, it's an expensive trip for us to go over to New Zealand. <laughs> I thought, right, I'm going over to Hawaii and I'm going to do it. And, uh, you know, I want to do really well, but I just want to experience the whole Hawaii thing. And, and sure, it was hot on the day um, and, and the, the course is difficult. Um, but I, I, was, well, I was a bit gutted um, that we didn't get the winds on the bike. See, I was the opposite because I was the year before when we had the winds. Yeah. And I had a terrible time, yeah. time-wise, but I, yeah, I really didn't care yeah. because it was the it was the epic day, and yeah, uh, yeah I was challenged by it, all right. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, you're off on uh, holiday shortly, off to. I am working. 
I was working holiday. Phuket, Thailand. Ah. What are you doing in Phuket, Thailand? I'm working with uh, three of the older guys that are, I work with. Oh, very good. Live in, uh, they live there, and they invited me to come spend a week training with them. Cool. Oh, wow. Have you, um, have you done Phuket before, the race, I Thailand? Race, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was very injured, but I did all right. Yeah, it's a great place. It's a nice race. I've done that. Is good it good a, memories there. Yeah. Is it Ironman? No, no, it's just, it's, it's sort of a 12K run at the end. <laughs> Talk Peter Reid if you listen to Phuket, though. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to keep reliving all these past glories. It's not going to happen. The anymore. older I get, the better I was. Um, well, thanks very much for coming in today, Scott. Yeah, you really uh, appreciate it. I think it, everybody eh? will have uh, learned a bit from what you've had to say. And um, hopefully, we'll have you on the show again sometime further down the track. And we are hoping to broadcast from Epic Camps to try and get people um, a bit of live action in there. Not quite sure how it will happen in France, but uh, next, next summer in New Zealand, next January, um, we're pretty confident we will. Bevan will be on top of this technology yeah, by then, I'm, and I'm um, the guru. and we might be able to do some live broadcasts from the uh, from the camp, which I think will be really cool for you guys. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for your time, mate. Thank you, Scott. So that's the show for the week. Thanks for your time today, and we look forward to catching up for you next week on Iron Man Talk. <laughs>